you can only try so hard, right? Mm-hmm. You can only try so hard and then you ha- kind of have to let the rest play out and just make good, educated and, and compassionate responses. Uh, sleep is one of those things where you don't, you generally don't sleep better because you're trying harder at night to sleep better, <laughs> right? Uh, and instead, really the focus has to be on um, giving yourself the best chances of success when you have the most control. And it's absolutely not when you're lying in bed. Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. One thing we don't talk enough about with type 1 diabetes and mental health is the impact that diabetes has on sleep. Let's be honest, people with type 1 diabetes have trouble sleeping. Whether it's getting up in the middle of the night with high blood sugar or having to treat low blood sugar or anxiety about going to sleep because you're worried about going high or low in the middle of the night. Not to mention those pesky alarms that go off all the time. Sleep with type 1 diabetes is challenging, and people with type 1 diabetes need more resources to help them sleep better. That's why on this episode of the podcast, I brought in a sleep expert. My guest today on the podcast is Dr. Nancy Lin. Dr. Nancy is an old friend of mine, but she's also an expert in sleep. Dr. Nancy treats people for sleep disorders and helps them to change their mindset and their behaviors to help them sleep better. On this episode of the podcast, Dr. Nancy and I talk all about type 1 diabetes and sleep, and she gives us some really great ideas about how we can change our mindset and sleep better with type 1 diabetes. I also want to invite you to download a free resource that I created for you on type 1 diabetes and sleep. To download this free resource, go to thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash sleep. That's thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash sleep. And now it's time to help you start sleeping better with type 1 diabetes. To get you started, here's my conversation with Dr. Nancy Lin. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you about diabetes and sleep. Nancy and I have known each other for a very long time. We actually trained together at UC San Diego at the VA hospital back in, well, I won't even mention how long ago it was. <laughs> uh, you know, we've gone on different paths, but I think that right now our paths are kind of coming back in line with our interests and in helping people to live lives without their challenges getting in their way. So I'm mean, really excited to have this conversation. So Nancy, you're a psychologist who focuses on sleep. Can you give us a little bit of information about what a sleep psychologist is and how you became a sleep psychologist? Absolutely. Thanks for that nice uh, introduction. Um, So when it comes to sleep, I think a lot of people who struggle with sleep um, follow their instincts and and go to their primary care doctor if they have had some trouble with it. And um, I think that is a good start in that, you know, doctors will be able to have a look to make sure that um, what the risk factors are for you are carefully evaluated. But what often also happens is that 
um, most medical doctors in the United States are trained in um, prescribing medications. And what we have found with sleep is that medications really are not the best way to correct sleep problems. In fact, a lot of the sleep medicines actually prolong difficulty in sleeping. And so that's kind of where I come in. Um, as a clinical psychologist, I work with um, you know, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that get in the way of great sleep. And what we found is that through changing sleep habits and changing mindsets about sleep, that we can help people sustain good quality sleep in a way that is way more effective than medication use. Um, that, and I think a lot of people who use medications tend to, um, they tend to work well for a while and they kind of get tolerated and stop working well. So it becomes this endless treadmill of um, taking medications and then not having them work. And it, and you know, it's a lot of frustration. So um, that's how I became a clinical psychologist um, specializing in sleep issues that it really is probably the most powerful way to deal with poor sleep. And um, unfortunately, not a lot of people get access to that, to that kind of care. Especially people with diabetes. People with diabetes have challenges sleeping for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But one thing that people with diabetes are very hesitant to do is to take sleep meds because it's important that we're able to wake up when there's a challenge or where there's a problem that we need to focus on, like a little blood sugar. And so having ways to be able to manage sleep and to sleep better and to have skills and tools to be able to do that is really essential for a lot of my listeners. So on that note, I want to hear a little bit about when people have trouble sleeping, what sort of mental health challenges, what sort of challenges in their lives that they generally have? Yeah. So I look at um, the, the sort of trouble with sleeping from a few different perspectives. There are several pillars that I think contribute to it. And of course, um, I mentioned the first one, which is basically that, um, you know, you might have other medical conditions that aggravate it. And then, of course, diabetes will likely be one of them. Um, and uh, but uh, even beyond that, there are different um, ways in which you might be set up to not sleep all that well. Um, it might be that you have come from a long line of people who run a bit on the anxious side, who, who worry. And we know that that is actually passed down in genetics. So, so that might be one case. Um, others might be high blood pressure, those types of um, medical conditions that can contribute to poor sleep. So that's kind of, um, you know, the, the, the predisposing type factors. And then what happens is once something happens in life, so for example, maybe you um, get a diagnosis that you weren't expecting, or you might be something um, very joyous, like you have a new baby. <laughs> um, major life changes tend to make people um, sleep not as well, or at least differently from before. And so um, that becomes another risk factor. And then what do you do about that? Well, um, with newborns, uh, you know, parents often um, change their sleep schedule completely, right? To accommodate a new baby. Um, and with anything that causes stress, um, people might, um, you know, lose sleep and then drink more coffee in the morning, uh, you know, some energy drinks, and then maybe a nightcap at night. <laughs> Lots of habit changes can occur when um, something new happens in life. And if those changes are taken to an extreme or go on for too long, then you've created a whole new routine, which can be really problematic for sleep. And then finally, um, another 
another observation is that when people don't sleep and it's been a while, then there's a complex that kind of develops, right? People start to think, oh, I'm just not good at sleep. And in fact, as soon as they look at the bed or think about sleep, they start getting kind of nervous about it. And so all those factors contribute to um, having a, a, a sort of a, a changed mental health picture where it relates to sleep and, um, you know, with good um, habit changes and mindset changes, it's absolutely possible to get back to better sleep. And when you're tired, you don't function as well. You're not as active in your relationships. You may have trouble at work, yes. which then of course can impact your mood, impact your anxiety about going to sleep, and it can become a big snowball. Absolutely. Um, so more, more anxiety, shoot, I, I can't make good on this deadline. I'm, I'm letting my family down. Um, depression can creep in. Uh, yeah. So it can really become a much bigger problem um, if it's allowed to keep going without it being checked. So before we dive into the specifics about type one diabetes and sleep, I want to hear a little bit about your approach, helping somebody sleep better in general. So if you were to give somebody some advice, diabetes aside, what would you tell them or how would you help them in getting better sleep and what approach would you take there? Okay. So what I would first do is ask, um, ask a lot of questions to kind of hone in on what aspect of sleep is maybe the most um, troubled or the most relevant to them. Because I think one of the things that people might get caught up in is listening to the greatest and um, latest uh, advice on sleep. And um, people can get a bit obsessed about, okay, well, it's got to be eight hours then, or I've got to get that weighted blanket, whatever it is that um, that is, is kind of being pushed. And I think what's most important is to really get to know yourself, right? To really get to know what is it that has kind of gotten you to this point. Um, perhaps you don't need all the greatest advice. Perhaps you just need to change one small thing. I, I might start off with the one small thing as being something like, hmm, tell me, tell me what it might feel like if I asked you to get up at the same time every morning, right? And if I ask that question and a person is um, just kind of like, oh yeah, I can do that. If a person is able to accept the advice that, you know, oh, okay, yeah, let me just get up at the same time every morning and um, and that's really easy for them, then I would probably just start there. If I see someone who's who's looking at me with with like wide-eyed and a bit terrified of the idea of getting up every morning, then I might offer something different. Like, okay, well, um, if that sounds like a major challenge, let's have a look at other ways to establish a routine. You know, are there things that you're not doing in your waking life that you could be doing more of now? Uh, maybe you could go for regular walks during the day. What do you do to get some physical exercise? Um, do you get um, a, do you give yourself the chance to go outdoors, breathe fresh air, and get some sun? Uh, so it really depends on the person. And um, I try to start off with something that is um, going to help really reestablish a routine of any sort that is um, healthier than what they're doing now. I love that. You know, instead of focusing on the problem of I'm not sleeping. You're really focusing on how do I set someone up for success to sleep the best that they can. And by asking those questions and by giving them some tips about how to set themselves up and, and get them to a place where in an ideal world they're able to do that. And then they can navigate around the challenges they may be having, like the ones that people have with type one diabetes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's something that I think can be frustrating. I, sus I suspect it's probably the same with type one diabetes and it's that you can only try so hard. 
right? Mm-hmm. You can only try so hard and then you kind of have to let the rest play out and just make good, educated and, and compassionate responses. Uh, sleep is one of those things where you don't, you generally don't sleep better because you're trying harder at night to sleep better, <laughs> right? Uh, and instead, really the focus has to be on um, giving yourself the best chances of success when you have the most control. And it's absolutely not when you're lying in bed. In terms of type 1 diabetes, I want to talk about two specific issues. And I want to say before this conversation that Nancy is not an expert in type 1 diabetes. She knows me and she knows diabetes through me, but she's really an expert in sleep. And so I want to guide this conversation, ask some questions around that. But please know that Nancy's coming from a place of expertise there, not from the world of diabetes. In my experience of working with patients with diabetes, there's kind of two big buckets of people who have trouble sleeping. And sometimes those buckets overlap, but sometimes they don't. And those two buckets are people who are generally anxious about going to sleep. And so they have what we call anticipatory anxiety. They're worried that if they go to sleep, that they're going to have a low blood sugar. And maybe that low blood sugar will wake them up, or maybe that that low blood sugar will be um, a very emergent situation. It'll be an emergency and they'll they'll have to have the paramedics called. And so they're worried about going to sleep. Um, And then the other bucket of people are folks who aren't necessarily worried about going to sleep, but they, when they do go to sleep, they're woken up by alarms or they're not feeling well, they have to go to the bathroom because of high blood sugar. And so I want to kind of focus on those two areas and see what sort of guidance and advice you might be able to offer uh, for people who are having that anticipatory anxiety about sleep. And then for people who are having those intermittent sleep disturbances because of issues that happen with their diabetes and how they can recover from those easily and then be able to go back to sleep and feel rested. So let's start off with people who are anxious to go to sleep because of diabetes related concerns. They're worried that if they go to sleep, their blood sugar will be high. They're worried that they're going to disturb their bed partner. And that, that worry really impacts their ability to sleep well, because they're worried about what's going to happen when they get in bed. Right, right. And so I just want to first start off with just saying that, you know, th- those worries are, are, are real, right? And um, there's something to just acknowledge that um, it's a part of living this life with type 1 diabetes. And then on the same level, um, realize that if you've done what you can do with that worry, then any excess of worry is likely to actually decrease your quality of life. Right. So, so worry is there as a friend. It keeps you from just being neglectful of yourself and of your loved ones in your life. It's, it's a call to action. And so, um, to take that worry and do the things that are, um, you know, recommended and and, uh, collaborated with, uh, by, uh, with you, by your, um, um, by your doctors is, um, absolutely the first and foremost thing to start with. Um, once you've done all that, then I think it's time to accept, right? That you don't control every single moment of your life and that you've done your best. And where sleep is concerned, I I would pay attention to two things. One is if you find that you are worried, chances are you're probably not gonna fall asleep very quickly, right? So if you are already worrying, don't bother trying to go to bed, right? This idea of forcing yourself to go to bed while you're worrying is like the greatest irony ever. It's not gonna happen. And so what I would recommend instead is if you find yourself worrying, go ahead and get out of bed and do something else that makes you feel 
relax and even maybe babysit the part of your mind that does want to worry. Um, and, and just, yeah, I, I think babysitting the mind is, is a really important um, trick that every adult should learn to do. Um, so what I normally ask people to do who are in uh, working with me is I ask them to plan out up to an hour before bedtime to get out of their thinking mind and back into their body. What that might look like might be, um, you know, listening to music. It might look like um, uh, folding laundry. It might be um, something like, uh, you know, their own bedtime stories. So listening to a story that they on audiobooks or something like that, that they have listened to many, many times. It could be stretching. It could be yoga. It could be anything. But the purpose of having that one hour is to allow that busy mind to start to let go because the mind is not the part that is going to help you get to sleep, right? It's, it's taken you to that place where you've done everything you're supposed to do. And then now it's time for the body to take over and be in a more comfortable, relaxed state. I love what you said about getting ready for bed and not set yourself up for failure by going to bed when you're anxious. But I also think it's important what you said, that you have to take your care team's guidance and advice. Because as my listeners know, one of the basic fundamentals of diabetes and mental health is understanding diabetes and diabetes mm -hmm. education and knowing how to manage your blood sugars. And if you feel more confident in that, then it's going to make going to bed and sleeping well, a whole lot easier because you feel like you have some semblance of control about what may happen and the ability to deal with it if it does. And then taking that a step further and being able to prepare yourself for bed and set yourself up for success by managing your anxiety before bed, then that's an added bonus to that process. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then the, um, for the folks that are being woken up, right. Because the alarms are going off or there's some discomfort or they have to go to the restroom. Um, really it's, it's, it's a similar principle, but applied at a different time. So say you've woken up, um, if you're able to just go back to sleep without, without any sort of extra drama, then great, go back to sleep. But sometimes it can feel like it's a little more than that, right? Sometimes the mind does kick in and starts to say, oh gosh, you know, here we go again. What am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to fall asleep. Look, I've had to get up to use the bathroom for the third time already. Whatever it is, that chatter, that mental chatter, um, again, it's time to acknowledge that it's present and to actually stay away from bed, right? Because we don't want the bed to be associated with this really stressful um, thought process and experience. And so, um, again, finding a comfortable place to, um, to sit, maybe, maybe with your favorite comfortable blanket nearby and being ready to simply be in that moment rather than trying or striving to do something that your body's probably not ready to do because the mind is too loud. Um, going back to maybe some breathing exercises. Um, again, I'm a big proponent of folding laundry <laughs> when you're trying to keep your mind from, uh, you know, getting the best of you, um, keeping uh, maybe some crossword puzzles nearby if that's, if that's your thing doing something else that isn't supposed to get you back to sleep, but simply to distract your mind from getting too wound up. And so I would recommend doing something like that. Not too much light exposure, right? Because that will um, actually make it harder for you to fall asleep, but something really chill, 
that you can do in the darkness that allows you to come back to a calm place and then allows you to kind of sneak off into bed before your mind realizes what's going on. Another thing that's important is being able to check your thoughts, especially thoughts about how often these sleep challenges are happening with diabetes. So I know for me, you know, I probably have an alarm that wakes me up maybe once or twice a week. But if you were to ask me at night <laughs> after alarm wakes, wakes me up, I'd be like, this happens all the time. And that overwhelms me. And so by checking myself or reminding myself that, yes, it's going to happen and it's going to be annoying, <laughs> but it doesn't happen every night. And when it does happen, I'm generally able to handle it is really powerful um, yeah. for, for me and my sleep. Yeah. And thanks for bringing that up, Mark. Um, one of the things that I have noticed both in myself, because I actually do suffer from insomnia on, on a regular basis, <laughs> we'll, we'll get talk about that some other time. Um, but one of the things that I think is really important to realize too, is that none of us are very rational at night. Everything seems like a really huge deal at night. And then in the cold light of day, the next day, it's like, why was I stressing that? Not really sure. And so um, I think those thoughts that creep up at night can be particularly potent. And if we can sort of recognize that, okay, I'm in that mindset right now where everything's going to feel um, a certain kind of way, um, it's okay to maybe put off any decision-making. Um, it's okay to put off, you know, thoughts of actions that won't be that helpful and, and just, you know, wait it out, see what happens later, see what happens tomorrow. That's awesome advice. So Nancy, how can my listeners get a hold of you and follow you if they're interested in learning more? If you're interested in these topics, uh, please come visit www.gotosleepsd.com. That stands for um, Go to Sleep San Diego, where I'm, uh, where I'm currently working. And you can get some valuable information and tips about sleep. And um, if it's something that you think um, you'd like to learn more about, or you'd like to maybe even participate in a program for improving your sleep, definitely shoot me an email, which is all um, listed on my website. Great. And I'll make sure I put all that information in the show notes for this episode so people can get a hold of you really easily. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for this conversation. I think it was valuable for me, and I know it'll be valuable for my listeners in helping them to lessen their anxiety and improve their sleep with type 1 diabetes. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks for the invitation. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I so appreciate you listening, and I really hope this podcast is helpful for you. If you do find it helpful, please do me a favor and hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. I'd love to hear your feedback, and also, leaving a rating or review really helps me get the word out about this podcast to other people type on who might benefit. Also, please don't forget to download the free resource from this episode. To download the resource, go to www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash sleep. That's thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash sleep. I always love hearing from my listeners, so please feel free to send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com or head on over to Instagram and follow me and send me a DM at thediabetespsychologist. I would really love to hear from you. And of course, be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Remember, type 1 diabetes isn't easy, but you can have an easier time with it. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com. 
and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Thank you.